going to be reading the first three verses in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right. Yesterday at the, at the marriage conference, we were sitting there at lunch eating our sponsored lunch. And uh, we were having this discussion about, um, well, it was actually about Rocky IV um, <laughs> and movie sequels, um, all the different sequels. And the reality is, <laughs> I haven't actually, I mean, I've seen all the Rocky movies. I can't distinguish. I, I haven't watched them enough, so probably that's my fault. I should go watch them. Uh, but there's a lot of sequels. There's a lot of sequels, or, or maybe the ones that I've seen more, the uh, Star Wars trilogies, all the sequels and the prequels that go involved there. When we have a story that we want to tell that's too big for one container, a two-hour movie, a four-hour movie, whatever, we, we break it up into sequels and sometimes prequels. We break the story up. And Acts is that. Acts is a sequel. We're jumping in partway through a story, uh, partway through a very large story uh, that doesn't fit all in one setting. It's a sequel. And today we're going to begin a very long study <laughs> through the book of Acts. We're going to take our time as we go through here. Um, as you can probably tell, we only read three verses tonight. And there are, there are 28 chapters in Acts, and if we only did half a chapter every week, that would take us more than a year. So I, it won't all be three verses a week, I promise you. <laughs> I promise. We'll, we'll get through this book. Uh, but we are going to take our time. It's very important. It's an important study, and we're going to take our time through it. Um, today, tonight, my goal is primarily just to introduce the book, just to set um, the point uh, of this whole study and kind of set us in a trajectory as we go through there. Acts is a narrative. It's a story. It's a history that's being told. And at one level, at sort of a base level, it's the story of the early church. It's the story of how the church was formed. It's told very selectively. Of course, it has to be told selectively, like any history. If, if, if a history included every fact, every detail that happened, we, we wouldn't be able to contain it in just one book. It's very selectively put together by the author, Luke, uh, and contained for us. Our goal in studying this book, what's our goal here? Imagine what it would be like if you were reading through the New Testament, you're reading through your Bible, you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And imagine if Acts wasn't there. 
you read through these foretellings of the life and the ministry of Jesus, and if we didn't have the book of Acts, you jump straight into, you meet this guy named Paul. And you'd start reading about how the gospel's in, in, in Rome. You'd have lots of questions. There's lots of, there's a big gap in the story there of how did the gospel, who is Paul? How did the gospel get from Jerusalem to Rome? There's a whole lot of history that happens in that story. And the book of Acts tells us the story of how the Roman world, quoting Acts later on, Acts 17, how the Roman world was turned upside down by this small group of disciples of Jesus who were gripped by the good news. This small band of people who were so consumed by the story and the the reality of this resurrected Messiah that the entire Roman Empire was turned upside down. That expansion from Jerusalem to Rome is an incredible story. Just by itself, that's an incredible story. Just on the surface level, humanly speaking, Christianity had nothing really going for it. It had no money, really. No proven quality leaders didn't have any specific technological tools to help make this happen, had nothing really going for it. In fact, it faced massive hurdles, obstacles in its way. It was completely new. It taught a way of living and a a way of seeing the world that was utterly countercultural to everything that was going on. And ultimately, it would be subject to some of the most hatred and some some of the most aggressive persecution uh, that we've seen in history. The book of Acts is, for us, as we study this, it is both descriptive, telling a history of a story of what happened in the early church, and there is, it is also prescriptive. It's also giving us uh, clues and guidance and how that we should live and order our lives and how that we should function. What does it look like to partner with the Holy Spirit, to partner with God on his mission on the earth? Acts shows us. It's an extremely relevant book for us today. I said last week in our elder panel, which I hope was beneficial for you, uh, that for me, I feel like in the way that we said Daniel, when we studied Daniel last year, Daniel was this look at at how to live faithful in exile. Acts is the counterpart to that in the New Testament. It's how do we live as a faithful disciple of Jesus in a world that is hostile towards us? Acts is showing us that. It's giving us a picture of how that works. It's the counterpart there. How do we live as a resurrection people, a gospel people? A people so moved by the work of the cross, so motivated by the gospel, that we cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. We cannot help. That's our prayer. As the elders have been talking about this, that's our prayer for this year, for us as a church, for where we're going through this book, is that we would be so moved by all that Jesus has said and done, the good news of what he's accomplished, that we could not help as a community but to speak and to tell and to demonstrate the good news of the gospel.
that everything we do, our work, our hobbies, our praying, our eating, our, our spending time together, all of that would be motivated and informed by this story of what Jesus has done. We need to know this story because it's intentionally the story of all that Jesus, is, as the, or the video just said there, is continuing to do. It's not just the story about what happened in history, but what is continuing to happen, and we play a part. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this book, he said that Acts is the most lyrical of books. He said, live in that book, I exhort you. It is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the Spirit. John Calvin said that the book of Acts is a, is a kind of vast treasure. There's a lot here. There's a lot here, and that, that's, we're going to spend our time, take our time as we go through this. That's our goal in studying this. What was Luke's goal? What was he after as he wrote this? We're going to jump in, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The former book, we've already covered this, the book of Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke. At one point, they were collected as two volumes, as, as a two-volume story. Acts is written in the literary style. Actually, Luke and Acts are both in a very similar literary style to the Septuagint, to the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Luke had in mind, he could have written, he's a physician, he could have written in any particular style he wanted to, but he had in mind, he was writing something sacred. He was using the style of the Old Testament scriptures even as he wrote. He probably, it's possible, this is me reading into the story, it's possible that he thought he was writing something sacred. We don't really know much about Luke. We do know that he was a physician. Colossians tells us that. We assume that he was a Gentile from his name. Uh, we know that he was a devoted companion of Paul. Multiple times Paul references him. Uh, he also references himself in, in the text of Acts. Colossians and Timothy reference him. He traveled with Paul for years and was with him uh, in Rome when he died. One of the most like, sentimental passages, the most moving passages we have from Paul is in his last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, towards the end, Paul says, very simple, he says, Luke alone is with me. He's talking about him. He's in prison. He's in Rome. Luke alone is with me. And he's asking to send, that they would send Mark. Luke was with Paul. He spent time with him. And after all these years and all these travels with Paul, he spent two years also in Jerusalem. Luke had been taking notes. He must have been. He'd been interviewing people. He had been uh, taking note of all that Jesus had done and the progress that had happened in the church. And finally, God moves him to write this two-volume part that would ultimately make up the majority of our New Testament. 
Paul wrote 13 letters, but these two books contain, it's longer than those 13 letters combined. It's huge. There's a lot here. He wrote the gospel according to Luke and this, the sequel, the Acts, uh, Acts of the Apostles, or it's not actually called that, the, the book of Acts. Um, and we don't actually know his specific reasons. He's writing for this person, Theophilus, this, this man, Theophilus. We, we don't know much about him, but he is writing what Jesus did and taught and how the church spread throughout the Roman world. Maybe helpful to read actually his introduction to his first part. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, starting in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered, have, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. There's his reason. Who is Theophilus? We don't know. We have some assumptions. Theophilus was probably uh, a, some sort of Roman official. Probably some sort of Roman official. We know that from that title that he used there, Most Excellent. Most excellent. That's used multiple places of Roman officials in Acts 23 of Felix, Acts 26 of Festus, elsewhere of governors of, of Judea. Most excellent. Possibly a Roman official. Evidently, he had some knowledge of Jesus. He had some understanding of the story of what had happened. He had been a part of or had seen some of the story. And Luke's aim is to give a faithful account of all that Jesus had did and said and the progress of the church from there forward. You have to note that this is not videotape history. This is not everything that happened in the church. It's a very selected story. Luke has an intention in the way he's writing this. He has... He's doing history, but he's doing history with a purpose. There's theological implications to what he's writing. He's, he's doing theology through a story. We know this because there are things that just aren't covered in this story. Some people think, I don't know, this is just an interesting theory that I saw as I was studying this week, that it's possible that since Acts ends, the, the whole story of Acts ends with Paul awaiting trial before Caesar, it's possible, given the two years that Luke had, that he's writing sort of a defense brief for Paul to Roman officials. It's a possible thing. He's, he's writing the stories, trying to make the case. That would 
sort of makes sense because in most situations in Luke Acts, Rome is seen very favorably. Roman officials are treated well. There's no laws broken. It's very orderly. So here's what we do know. Ancient books were generally written on scrolls. These would be papyrus scrolls and had sort of a max length of 35 feet. It's a long scroll, 35 feet on a wooden dowel. They couldn't really be much longer than that because it would be impractical to move. So the length of Luke and the length of Acts was sort of determined by that. And it had to fit within that threshold. Luke uses two scrolls to tell his story. And what we're going to spend the next several months or a year on is the second half, the sequel. The key word here for us as we get into this study, and this is, I think, the important word for us tonight, is that word began. I think it's, the scripture's not up there. Chapter, verse 1, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's our, our key word here. The gospel of Luke is what Jesus began to do and teach. To do and teach. The implication to that is that Acts is the continuation of what Jesus was doing and teaching. Luke was the beginning. Acts is the continuation. What Jesus did on the earth through his, his uh, compassion, through his giving, his loving, his healing, what he did on the earth through his teaching, his thoughtful, authoritative, convicting gospel sermons, what he did through all of that, he is continuing to do through his church, empowered by the Spirit. This is incredibly important for us to understand as we get into this book. The purpose of the book of Acts is that we, as the church, are in an age where we are empowered by the Spirit. This is the continuing work of what Jesus is doing on the earth. It's the clear implication for us now, here and today thousands of years later, is that Jesus is still doing and saying, speaking through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father, ascended to the throne room, but he's not finished. The work of the cross is finished, but he is still very much at work through the church. He's, he's done with the work of atonement, and he's at work through us. He's not dead, and he's not absent. That's the good news of the story that we're going to read through Acts. He's alive, and he's present, and he's doing, and he's teaching. The incarnation of the Son of God into human flesh, the once and for all atoning sacrifice, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension to the Father, that's the beginning. But he is still at work. He is still moving. And that's the point of the book of Acts. That's why we exist as a church. What this age, this whole journey of the Christian church is about is that God is at work. He is still moving. 
So the book of Acts is not just the Acts of the Apostles. It is the Acts, it's the activity of the risen, living, enthroned Messiah who is working then and now through his church who is empowered by the Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, he said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is Luke's point. Jesus began his doing and teaching until he was taken up into heaven. And now he's completing the task. He's continuing his doing and his teaching. Those two words, doing and teaching. He goes on building the church just like he said he would. He is building the church. So yes, Acts is a history book. But it's also like a play that we have a part to even now to play. We have a part to actually jump into this story. We're invited to be a part of the story. We can see this in the way that Paul talks about his ministry. Paul is one of these, the main characters in Acts. The whole second half of the book is about him. It could be. Half the book could probably be called the Acts of Paul because it's really the big story there. But listen to the way Paul, listen to what, uh, what Paul says is really happening through his ministry. In Romans chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Romans 15, verse 18 through 19. I didn't put it on the screen, so you're going to have to turn your Bibles if you have one. Romans 15 through 18. Sorry, Romans 15, 18 18 through 19. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Lyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. This is what Paul says. Whatever he accomplished for the kingdom, whatever Paul accomplished, all that he did, all his missionary journeys, the books that he wrote, whatever he accomplished, it was Jesus doing and teaching. It's the same words, the same phrase even. It's Christ through me by word and deed. Jesus, all that Jesus began to do and teach Jesus is speaking, and he's acting through Paul. That's how Paul saw his entire ministry, as partnership with a speaking and acting Messiah who's alive and active and reigning from heaven. It's why we have the book of Acts. It's why we have this story. He is still speaking and working. I could say it over and over. I feel like I've repeated myself now a lot, but he is still Speaking, still working. He is building his church. And whenever people submit to his leading authority, whenever we submit to him as Messiah and allow him to work through us, we are partnering with him to do the work that he has called us to do. We are, we are joining with this story. 
That's what we want to see happen in our fellowship in this city. Okay, let's jump into verse 2 here. Verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, and after he had given commands to the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So now we turn to verse 2 and 3 here. And we have this question before us. What does Jesus give his disciples? What does he give us so that we can join him in this work? How does he enable us? Well, how does he equip us to be partners with him in this work? To be, to, he is continuing to say and do. And how does he equip us? What tools does he give us? There are three things that are mentioned in verse 2. And verse 3, there's a fourth thing that we'll look at next week. Namely, the baptism of the Holy Spirit we'll look at next, next couple weeks. But tonight, we're going to look at uh, verse 2 and 3, and three things that he gave us, tools that he gave us. The first one is a commission. Look at verse 2. Until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit... To be used by Jesus in word and in deed and to be used by him in this world, the apostles needed a commissioning. They needed a commandment to go and do what he had called them to do. He need, they needed an authorization from the Holy Spirit. When Luke says that he gave them a command through the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? He gave them a command through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at an example of this. In John chapter 20, verse 21, there's one description of a commission that Jesus gave his apostles after his resurrection. Let's look at this. John 20, verse 21 and 22. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Okay, there's the commissioning. There's the, the sending. As the Father has Sent me, even so I am sending you. Verse 22. And he said, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound similar to what Paul is describing here? They'd received this command through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did this through the Holy Spirit. He was the resurrected, glorified Lord, seated at the right hand. Well, not yet, but he would be. Uh, he had all authority. He had all sovereignty. This is, this is Jesus, fully God. And yet he chose not to rely on his own resources and power and ability, but to partner with the Holy Spirit in this commissioning. The reality is Jesus delights in partnership. That's the story of the Bible through and through, is that he's looking for partnership. And he's modeling that in the way he partners with the Holy Spirit. And if the reality is, if the glorified, resurrected Jesus relies and partners with the Holy Spirit, there's probably something that we could learn from that, yeah? 
That's the pattern for the rest of the book of Acts. It shows that what the Holy Spirit does and is operating through the church, it's, it's a collaborative work. The disciple is not above the master, nor is the servant above the Lord. And if he partnered, he chose to work with and rely, even rely on the Holy Spirit for the power of his ministry, then surely we should do the same. We should take note. We shouldn't attempt to do the Great Commission without it. It was through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he spoke. It was through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that they received their commissioning. It was through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he did all that he did. It is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that the church did all that it did. The Spirit helped them in those days before Pentecost to understand the commandments. Luke 24 says that then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. That's before Pentecost. The Spirit helped them to accept this command and commissioning. The Spirit helped them to be glad and to receive with joy this commissioning. It's again in Luke 24. He says that they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. There's no way, this in no way contradicts what happened at Pentecost, uh, that there was more that would come there, but there is this fulfillment that happens, this empowerment that happens through the, the word of the Spirit, partnering with the Spirit. To be used by Jesus, to, be, to partner with him as the church throughout the rest of this book and throughout our story the first thing they needed was a commissioning, an authorization from the Spirit. Second thing they needed is evidence that Jesus was alive and victorious. This one gets a bad rap, I think. The second thing they needed from Jesus was evidence. They needed proof and verification that he really was alive. He was victorious over death. He presented himself to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them for 40 days. Simply put, you can't, have an, you can't be an authentic tool in the hand of God if you don't believe that Jesus is resurrected and is alive and well. They needed proof. They needed to believe that he was really alive, that he was really living. Forty days, Jesus appeared to them again and again. We see this at the end of Luke. He said things like this, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And he said to them, he showed them his hands and feet. Or later on, he, he ate broiled fish with them. He took it and ate it before them. He proved over and over. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul's talking about the resurrection, this is what he says. He says, He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. More than 500 people, Paul says, saw the resurrected Jesus. Most of them, 25 years later, were still alive to verify that they had seen him. He was busy during those 40 days. 
40 days of appearances and conversations and meals to prove that he was really alive. He's not a figment of their imagination or of their grief. He's not a ghost. He's not just a fable. He was really alive. And when they had proof, they had a level of persuasion that was so convincing, now they're ready. Now they're ready. But they still needed more. Third thing, verse 3, last thing that we'll mention is that they needed instruction. This is odd to me a little bit because they had spent years with Jesus. They had received this spirit authentication, this commissioning. They had seen verification and proof of Jesus that he's alive and well. But they still needed more instruction about the kingdom of God and, and what, it, what was happening. You see this in the end of verse 3, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. What's odd is that's the same thing Jesus taught through the whole book of Luke. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. These guys had been evidently slow to understand and believe uh, during the ministry of Jesus through the book of Luke. And now they needed a crash course, so to speak, on this post-resurrection theology. What is the kingdom now? What are the promises of the Old Testament really all about? Luke 24 is full of these uh, reminders that we have. Luke 24 Verse 25, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Jumping down, verse 44. And he said to them, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, which is a way of saying the Old Testament, all of it, uh, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. I have often said, I would have loved to be a part of those Bible studies in the 40 days post-resurrection. Jesus took the Old Testament and he blew their minds. He showed him how it all is pointing towards him. The question is, in what sense had the kingdom really come, Jesus? Are you going to establish your kingdom now? There's all these questions going on, and there's all this dialogue, and they needed more instruction. And this is part of what the church is about. That's why we teach the Bible. We still need instruction about the kingdom and the good news and what does it mean and how does it work? How does the kingdom show itself? How does it affect my life? How does it affect my ministry and my work? What is, what is its impact on all these things? Jesus, he spent 40 days through the Old Testament showing him. I think this is going to be a good study through Acts. I'm excited for it to see... What would happen if we could become, if we could be so inspired by this little group of ill-equipped 
What is it? It says, uneducated, simple men. <laughs> what, what if we could be so inspired by the story of the works of the Spirit through this little group of people that we could begin to partner with the Holy Spirit in a similar way? That's what the book's here for. That's why we have it. It, it's not meant to just be dry history. This is, this is a story that you should read and it should captivate your imagination. It should inspire you to what is possible for a disciple of Jesus. What is, it, what is, what is possible for a church? What's possible for a community that is following hard after the resurrection? We need this spirit-powered commission in our own lives, just like the disciples received. We need to have our minds persuaded over and over again that Jesus is really, really alive. He's not a myth. He's not a fable. He, he's really alive. Right now, at the right hand of the Father in heaven, on a throne, there's a human body. Jesus is alive and well and at work through his spirit. It's not a myth or a story. This is true history. We need to be reminded, just like they did, over and over again, of the reality of his resurrection, that he has conquered and defeated death. He is unstoppable. There is nothing that can stand in his way. And we, just like them, need to receive instruction. We need to learn about the kingdom and the gospel and the good news and the effects and the influence of that on our life and community. We need to know about the kingdom and how it came and how it's going to come ultimately. And our prayer for this year is that we would take, as we take this deep dive into the book of Acts, that we, that Jesus himself will continue to speak and to do. That he is continuing to speak and to do, and that we would see that. We'd see that at work in the scripture, and we would be inspired, and we would see that at work in our own lives in our relationships and in our community, that Jesus is still speaking and acting. He's still at work. That we would see his activity, that we would experience him. That he would give us just what we need to be used as a tool in his hand to affect our county, to affect our city. My prayer, even as this week, our takeaway, so to speak, for this week, is that we would be so gripped by the good news of Jesus that just like the disciples, that you would not be able to shut us up. We couldn't, I cannot help but speak of the things that I have seen and heard. I just want that to be like our, our response. I can't help but speak of the things that I've seen and heard. I guess the question then is, have we seen and heard of the activity of Jesus in our life? Have we seen or heard of what God is doing 
that he's alive and active. This week, my challenge for you this week is don't, don't take my word for it. It's not that long of a book. Go read the book of Acts. Read Luke and Acts if you can. Read the book. Jump ahead. Don't feel bad reading ahead of us because we're, we're taking a couple verses at a time. Jump ahead, read, uh, and allow yourself to be gripped by the story. Allow your imagination to be captivated by what the Holy Spirit did through his church in the formation and the foundation of the early church. Spend some time. Read it multiple times. Let it grip you. Let it challenge the status quo of your normal rhythms and your normal life. Ask, how can you partner with the Holy Spirit like these disciples did? If you need more proof, if you need more instruction, it's here and it's available for you. Lean in. Lean in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in your providence we are not left from the Gospels straight into the epistles. That we do have this testimony of the church. We do have this testimony of the book of Acts. We have this story of what you continued to do and to teach. And God, I thank you that you are still active, doing, and teaching. And, and that I pray that as we invest our time this year into this study, that you would continue your work. God, that you would do it again. That you would, as the apostles pray, that you would take note of the threats, the things that are going on around us, that you would stretch out your hands and you would do it again, God. Continue to do what you have always done. Do and teach among us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.